this morning. Actually, let's go to Romans 15. Let's start right. Romans 15. Get on on the right foot here. It is good to see everybody this morning, and especially with all of the, uh, the, the things that go on today and the opportunity to uh, take a break and not take a break and take a vacation or not or whatnot. So uh, I want we're to, we're looking at the issue of the Gospels and us, and today we're in the book of Mark. And again, my goal, we have studied Matthew in great detail on Wednesday nights. It's on the YouTube channel. We've studied, we're in Mark right now. We've studied Luke. That we don't have on the YouTube channel. That's why I'm teaching it again on Sunday nights to get it there. And then we've studied John. That is on the YouTube channel. So I'm not looking at going through these books in great detail, but rather just in a very uh, wide open viewpoint. And just a kind of, here's the tree toppers. Uh, by the way, Matthew, I didn't give you this last time. Matthew has 28 chapters, 1,071 verses, 23,684 words. Mark, 16 chapters, 678 verses, 15,771 words. And Mark is, uh, Luke has 24 chapters, John has 21. Luke, uh, uh, Mark has 16 chapters. If you take out of Matthew, Luke, and John, all of the extra narrative, Mark is the biggest gospel written. Mark doesn't contain a lot of, I'm ahead of myself, but that's because I'm thinking about it. Mark doesn't contain a lot of the, the, the drama, if you will, and we'll see why as we get there. Anyway, Romans 15, verse 4. I, I want to start here. I, I didn't do this last week. I want to do this and really the why and what we're doing here. And again, looking at the Gospels and our relationship with it. The Apostle Paul, Romans 15, verse 4, For whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning, that we through patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have hope. Verse 13, Now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, that ye may abound in hope through the power of of the Holy Ghost. You and I, Paul exhorts us to have comfort of the Scripture. He exhorts us to have some patience and, and some hope and some peace and some joy. By the way, verse 13, joy and peace where? In believing. It's not enough to just know the verses. You have to do what with the verses? Believe them. And that's the hardest step, quite honestly. And that's why verse 4 is so critical for whatsoever things were written afore. Well, what was written afore? The Old Testament, the Gospels, Acts, they're written for our what? Our learning, not our obedience. We learn the stuff. We, we get into it. We dissect them. We study them. We were, stud we were in this morning in 1 Corinthians, and we're back in Acts 18. And, and, and in between, Hans and I were talking, and we were literally down looking at a word in the verse. See? And then we're looking at a set of words, a phrase, the way of the Lord. All right, what does that mean? What are we talking about? And, and why? Because you want to know some, You want to enjoy this. You want to get into it. And Paul, uh, it, it, come over to 2 Corinthians 4. Paul anticipates, he expects you to know the Old Testament, not to obey it. By the way, Paul, there's nine of the Ten Commandments Paul says you and I ought to be very aware of and obey. There's one that he says you don't need to worry about, and that's keeping the Sabbath. The other ones you better pay attention to, see? Now, if you disobeyed the Ten Commandments in Moses' day, 
then bad things are going to happen to you. If you disobey him today, nothing bad's going to happen to you because you're sealed in, Christ, in, in the Holy Spirit and you got all spiritual blessings. And, you, and you're, all of that is not pertained upon you keeping, you know, thou shalt not kill. Please, thou shalt do no murder. Don't do that one, okay? <laughs> but you don't need to steal. Why? Paul says, let's be honest with all men. My point is, is that Old Testament is critical to know. 2 Corinthians 4 Paul talks in verse 3, but if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine unto them. For we preach not ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your servants for Jesus Christ's sake. Now watch. For God, who commanded the light to shine out of darkness, has shined in our hearts, to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Do you see, in light of teaching about the God of this world, blinding the minds, and the glorious light shining in of the doctrine, in verse 6, Paul grabs you and takes you back to Genesis 1, verse 3, where God commanded the light to shine out of darkness. What does Paul assume you understand? Genesis 1, to make the connection. The God of this world blinds the mind of the, them which believe not. Why? Lest the light of the glorious. They sit in spiritual darkness, and here comes spiritual light. What's happening in Genesis 1-3? Well, 1-1 happened. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then in verse 2, and, and the earth was without form and void. Judgment has come on the earth, and now there's darkness, and there's water. There's all this stuff that shouldn't be there there. Why? Because the God of this world has fallen, and God judged it. God who? God Almighty, God Creator. And God Creator, just as He shined the light back there, what did He do over here? He sent His Son to die on the cross for you. But what I want you to catch is Paul assumes you know what? (laughs) Genesis 1 verse 3. Rather than pulling out the concordance and going, all right, where did God shine the light out of darkness? Well, He did it in a, a lot of places, by the way. So when you come back to Romans 15, verse 4, and he says, Whatsoever things were written aforetime are written for our learning, that, why, we through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures might have what? Hope. You know why? When you go back and you look at Israel's program and you study out the Old Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and Acts, early Acts, and you begin to look at that, you know what you begin to see? God gave his word to a group of people, and he's doing it, When they do what? Obey Him. Every time Israel obeys the Lord in the Old Testament, you know what He does? He opens up heaven's blessings and He dumps it on them like He had covenanted and promised with them. And every time they disobey Him, what did they do? He shut the heaven's door and they didn't. They got famine in the land. They got famine in the the people. They can't have children. They can't do this. They got all this stuff. You know what that does for you and I? Brings comfort. Why? Because what God said he's going to do, he's going to do. So when he looks at you and I and says, I'm going to bless you with all spiritual blessings, then what do you have? All spiritual blessings. When he says, I'm going to come back and I'm going to redeem you out of here and I'm going to rapture you, we call it the rapture, we're going to get you out of here one day, we're going to resurrect you in a new body, what's he going to do? What he said he's going to do. How do I know that? Look at the Old Testament. See how the comfort... So when we come back in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and we see the earthly ministry of the Lord, 
What are we learning as you and I look back over that? 1 Corinthians 15. See, none of this is on your handouts. That's why being here is good. See, 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 3. Paul's talking here about verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved. If ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain, for I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins, according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day, according to the Scriptures. Now, there's problems at Corinth. The problem in 1 Corinthians 15 is they're doubting the resurrection of the dead. That's their, that's their doubt. That's their issue. That's why verse 2 says the way verse 2 says it. He's not saying, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you have believed in vain. He's not saying that it, unless you believe this, you're going to believe in it, which is what everybody says. Look at how verse 2 starts. But which... By which also ye are what? Is that past tense, present tense, or future tense? It's past. You're saved. That's a done deal. So he's not saying that if you don't believe in this, if you later come and and doubt the resurrection, that you lost what you believe. Because we know that that isn't the case. Ephesians 1.13, Romans 5 says, no. It just means you've what? Now you're into the doubtful disputations and you need some corrective doctrine and that's what chapter 15 is all about. Follow that? Verse 3, I emphasize the how that Christ died. Paul never tells us how Christ died. He tells us why Christ died, what it means. Who tells us how? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And when you look back into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, especially in the later chapters, and you begin to see the Lord go to Calvary, what are you beginning to see? How that Christ died for our sin. And Paul makes a reference back that you need to know and understand the events around Calvary, and we, you and I need to understand them way more better, and I know it's bad English, but we need to know it better than anybody else out there in Christian dumb. Why? Because we stand for the truth rightly divided. See? And we can read and st- we can read it. There, there you go. Thank you, Joel. Mm. I know. I took it that way. That's okay. <laughs> there you go. So when we come into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that, that's why last time we were in Matthew. And we kind of ran out of time there at the end of Matthew, but Matthew presents the Lord as king. Israel's king. The four behold statements, the four branch statements. Here's the king. He matches up with that cherub face of the lion, the seraphim face of the lion. Mark is is where we're at today, is going to match up with the servant, the ox, the worker. The king, we want to know what he says. What does the king say? That's why for 28 chapters, Matthew is a proclamation. Here's the king proclaiming. There's no doubting the king. The word of the king is powerful. You don't doubt that. That's why you'll see, so, you'll see oddities between this and that. And you go, what in the world? It's because of the portrait they're painting, the perspective they're looking at. You guys go and, I mean, you do that. Have you ever been out 
hiking or camping and you see the sun set a certain way and you come back a few days later and the sun set in the same place looks completely different? It's perspective. Luke is going to come along and say, look, he's man, he's humanity, he's the son of man. And here's how he feels. Mark, here's what he does. King, Matthew, here's what he says. Mark, here's what he's going to do. Luke says, here's how he felt. And he presents the Lord as man, son of man. Then John, here he is, he is the son of God. He's deity. And John, not only are we going to see what he says and how he feels and how he all the stuff. And John, you know what he says? I am, fill in the blank. And the seven I am statements are enlisted in John, and we'll, we're going to go through those, okay? But what I want you to catch is the why we're doing it. You need to understand all of this information, where it sits. That's why in Matthew 13, when he starts talking in parables, he tells you why. It's for the believers to understand the truth and the unbelievers not to. It isn't to do what the, they say out there in religion, and that is everybody can understand what he's saying. Nuh-uh. The Lord himself says, I say this to you guys so you get it, and they don't get it. Well, that's pretty good to know. So then when I run across a parable or two or three here and there, guess what I can do? I can leave them where they sit, <laughs> and I'm not having to do anything. See, you, you guys, okay? Mark. Let's talk about Mark. Mark's a wonderful verse, a, a wonderful verse, <laughs> a wonderful pa- ch- uh, book. Mark, look at Mark 1, verse 5. What's the first word? Mark 1, 5. And. Verse 6, and. Verse 7, and. Verse 9, and. Verse 10, and. Verse 11, and. Verse 12, and immediately. All the ands. Almost every chapter, if I counted right, I think there's only one or two of the chapters. Start with the word and. Why? Because we're talking about a servant. And what's a servant do? And he did this, and he did this, and then he did this, and then this. and immediately he goes and does this. Or straightway. So the key words in Mark are and, immediately, straightway. Why? Because what do we need to know about the Lord? What does Israel need to know about the Lord, their, his, their Messiah? He can do the work. He's going to accomplish the work of Messiah. That's what he's going to do. Yep, 12 of 16 chapters. If I'd have read it, there it is. Let's see. There's, there's a, come over to chapter 4. This parable, chapter 4, does not sit in any of the other three Gospels. Chapter 4, verse 26. And he, sa- and he said, So is the kingdom of God, as is a man which casts seed into the ground, and should sleep and rise night and day, and the seed should spring and grow up, He knoweth not how. For the earth bringeth forth fruit of itself, first the blade, then the ear, then after that the full corn in the ear. But when the fruit is brought forth immediately, see that, immediately? He putteth in the sickle because the harvest is come. This parable doesn't sit. It's not found in the other Gospels. Obviously, it's a statement here talking about a farmer planting a seed and things growing and the harvest and what is designed for the servant to know. What is a servant going to know assuredly, see? What's he going to know? 
hey, that the Word of God will do the work of God. And, he's, and he paints this picture in, in, in farming and in planting and in growing. And you know what that servant knows? That if I go and do the Word of God, it's going to accomplish the work of God. It's going to get it done. None of the other ones have it. Come over to chapter 7 of Mark. This miracle is not found in any of the other. There's one parable and two miracles not found in the other three Gospels. By the way, in John, there's only eight miracles, seven or eight miracles. He does a whole bunch more. But what's going on in John, we just need a few to demonstrate that he is the I Am. He is Jehovah. Mark 7, verse 31. And again, departing from the coast of Tyre and Sidon, he came into the Sea of Galilee through the midst of the coast of Decapolis, and they bring unto him one that was deaf and had an impediment in his speech. And they beseeched him to put his hand upon him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers into his ears. And he spit and touched the tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and saith unto him, Ephetah, that is, be open. And straightway his ears were opened, and the string of his tongue was loosed, and he spake plain, and he charged them that they should tell no man. But the more he charged them, so much the more a great deal they published it, and were beyond measure astonished, saying, He hath done all things, he maketh, he hath done all things well, he maketh both the deaf to hear and the dumb to speak. And the goal is verse 37. What does that servant do? He's done it all. How? Well. He did everything. He did it perfectly. You see his work, his words, verse 33, he took him aside from the multitude. He put his fingers in his ears. He spit and touched his tongue. And then he what? Verse 34, he sighed. There's his work. There's his word, there's his suffering. He does it all, and he does it well. The, the picture being painted here. Come over to chapter 8, verse 22. 8.22. 8.22. By the way, I know some will say, well, the deaf and the dumb, that thing is Matthew 15, but it is not. You go read Matthew 15, and it, the details are completely different. Okay? He goes in, he's dealing very specific here. Look at 8.22. Here's the other one, the other miracle. And he cometh to Bethsaida. By the way, Matthew 11 describes the place of Bethsaida as a place of unbelief. And they bring a blind man unto him and besought him to touch him. And he took the blind man by the hand and led him out of the town. And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands upon him, he asked him if he saw aught. He looked up and said, I see men as trees walking. A picture of the condi spiritual condition of the nation of Israel, blind. Here comes, here comes the first working, and they don't see so clearly, do they? After that, verse 25, he put his hands again upon his eyes and made him look up, and he was restored and saw every man clearly. And he sent him away to his house, saying, Neither go into the town, nor tell it to anyone in the town. The second miracle, he's, can you see? 
Man says, I just, I don't, I just see men as trees. Rub-a-dub-dub does it again. Now he sees clearly. He's teaching his disciples. They're having a problem in their understanding. They're imbecetic. They're unbelief. And he comes in and through the miracle, you know what he says? He says, right now you don't see so clearly. But then one day, Luke 24, Acts chapter 1, you're going to see clearly. The miracle here is he's dealing with the disciples and their inability to catch on to what's going on. Right now, you don't see so clear. Well, over here, you're going to see clear. Those two, those three are not found in any of the other Gospels. They're only found here in Mark. By the way, if you'll notice, he told them, go into town and don't say anything to anybody. Now, you know, that, why? Because a servant isn't looking for the attaboy. The servant is looking to do the job. Who's looking for the attaboy? Well, the king would, the recognition, but so is a man. And that's why you see in Matthew and in Luke things happening, and the Lord doesn't really say, don't tell everybody yet. And besides, also the Lord knows it's not his hour yet. There's some things he still has to do. Now, go back to chapter 1. And let's just notice the book here through chapter 1. And the, if you think about the way Mark 1, 1, Mark 1 starts, the book starts, it gives great insight into what's now going to follow and what's going to happen. Again, 16 chapters, 678 verses, 15,771 words. And again, if you take out all of the drama, all of the extra conversation around in Matthew and in Luke and John, Mark is the biggest book because it contains the most of his activity as the Messiah, doing the things that Isaiah and the prophets required of the Messiah to do. He says, here they are, do them. And he says, I do it. John the Baptist sends some disciples down there and says, hey, you go down there, are you the Christ? He goes, dude, I could just see the Lord, okay? Put it in Rick talk. Dude, are you nuts? Don't, don't you see everything I'm doing? <laughs> I've fulfilled everything here. You go back and tell John, OJB, to knock it off and get with the program. Now, that's Rick's talk, okay? Because that's what he does. Mark 1.1, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So he starts with some emphasis of title here. Now he's talking about the servant. The servant is going, who is the servant? He is the son of God. Verse 3, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord. He's the Lord. He's Jehovah. Verse 7, and preach, John's preaching, preach saying, there come one mightier than I. He's mighty. Verse 11, and there came a voice from heaven saying, and the Father speaks, Thou art my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And so the Father says, You're what? You're beloved. But look at verse 24. All right? Verse 24. Verse 23. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone. What have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee who thou art, the Holy One of God. Notice the servant isn't just some servant. Who is the servant? He's the Son of God. He's the Holy One of God. He's the Lord. He's mighty. He's the beloved Son. So we're not just talking about somebody we picked up on the side of the road to come and help us do some work. Go back up to chapter 1, verse 1. 
You see, obviously, Luke, I'm sorry, Mark starts. There's no genealogy. We don't care where the servant came from. We don't need his pedigree. What do we need? We need his work degree. Can he get the work done? There's no way in the baby in the manger. There's no wise men. There's no shepherds. There's none of that. It's boom, boom, boom. We're on. Where are we at? We're instantly, verse 2, as it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare the way before thee, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare ye the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Where are we immediately? We're immediately in the ministry of John the Baptist. Now, in Matthew, that's four cha three chapters later. In Luke, three chapters. John, John doesn't have much either on, on John the Baptist's ministry, but not, really it's just John 1. <laughs> the first chapter. But so Luke, I'm, I'm sorry, Mark, if I keep saying Luke, I apologize. I'm thinking about Luke tonight. But Mark, on the basis of him being the Son of God, the end of verse 1, here's what he's going to do. Based on the, him being the Son, as it is written in the prophets, here comes John the Baptist. And what's he going to do? He's going to make an announcement here Notice what he, behold, I send my messenger. And what John's going to do now is he's making an announcement concerning the servant. And here's the servant's references. This is what he's going, this is what we need to know. This is what we need to, we need to see. There's no genealogy. There's no birth. There's nothing like any of that. You want all that? You got to go to Matthew and to Luke. What we want to know is when the, can he do the job as Messiah? Can he come along and accomplish the five mandates of the Davidic covenant? Can he be redeemer? Can he be deliverer? Can he be avenger? Can he be blesser? Can he be king? Get on with it. Let's go. Let's see what he can do. And Mark begins. He's got to introduce John the Baptist because John the Baptist... Luke says, when John the Baptist was thrown in prison, then the Lord's earthly public ministry began. So verse 4, John did baptize. So from verse 4 to 6, you have John's or John's, John the Baptist's ministry. See that? Boom. Quick. Verse, verse 8. I'm sorry. Uh, verse 4, 5, 6, and 7. Verse 8. I indeed have baptized you with water, but he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost. Do you see something missing from Matthew 3? Look back at Matthew 3. Matthew 3, verse 11. Matthew 3, verse 11. Just, just kind of just follow along. Just see this. You see, John the Baptist, the shortest account here, again, the issue is let's get to the servant, let's get to the worker. Matthew 3, verse 11, John says... I indeed baptize you with the water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Do you see the with fire missing? What's he say in Mark 1? He's just going to get, I get you with water, he's going to get you with the Holy Ghost. By the way, Luke 3, fire. Why? Mark is depicting him as the servant, and the servant has no authority to pass judgment on anyone. His job isn't that job. Whose job is it to pass judgment upon someone? The king and man, the son of man. The servant has no rights there. If the servant comes in, you know what the servants do? He does what the Lord, his Lord tells him to do. He doesn't come in and say, I think I have. You don't have an opinion. 
sit down, shut up, and do the work. That's what Mark's getting at. Okay, I know we don't use the S word. Shut up. I'm sorry. Okay, I get a little worked up. I'm, I apologize. But that's what he's doing here. So verse 9, And it came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized of John and Jordan, and straightway coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens open and the Spirit like a dove descending upon him. And there came a voice from heaven saying, Thou art my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. What does the Father do here? He identifies his servant. Isaiah 42, 1. My servant, mine elect. Here he is. When he says thou, he says boom right there. And Matthew, when he makes that proclamation in Matthew, he says to the, to the group around, I get it right, sorry. Matthew 3, 17, he says, And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Why does he say this and not thou? By the way, he says both statements. Why? Because who do the people need to know? He's king. This is my beloved son. The guy you're looking at is the one. The servant needs to be reassured. Thou art my son. (laughs) You're good to go. You're mine. By the way, so does man, the son of man. Same thing. What's he going to do? Back to Mark 1, verse 12. And immediately the spirit driveth him into the wilderness. And he was there in the wilderness 40 days, tempted of Satan, and was with the wild beast. By the way, that's the only way, the only place we know wild beasts were around is right there. The wild beast in the parable analogies will be the adversarial forces. Birds and fowls of the air are called devils in Matthew 13. You guys love your owls? Better be careful. You like your little hummingbirds? Better be careful. I'm just telling you, it's stuff spooky. And your book lays it out for you. Oh, it's not satanic. It's just you got to be careful with it, okay? Anyway, and the angels ministered unto him. That's it. There's your temptation of Christ. All done. Isn't that interesting? It's not like Matthew and Luke. By the way, there is no temptation in in John. Why? Because you don't tempt God. It's fascinating. Mark says done. Now let's get on with it. Verse 14. Now, after that John was put into prison, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent ye and believe the gospel. And from that moment, all the way down to chapter 16 and verse number 20, with the amen, what do we begin to see? We begin to see the words and the works of the Lord Jesus Christ as they illustrate, as they illuminate, as they manifest, as they validate Him as the servant of Israel and ultimately of man. That's wonderful. So let's pray and go home. I got 15 minutes. I ain't giving you that. I probably owe you more than that, but it's fantastic as you go. And again, the key word, and. And, and, and immediately, and straight away. And, 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 you know, I sat one time, I encourage you to do, sit just one afternoon, read the whole book of Mark, 1 to 16. You'll be exhausted when you're done. Don't study it, don't chase rabbit trails, just read it. It's like, oh my goodness, did he have, the man never slept. He's just boom, 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 boom. Why? Because that's what he's doing. Verse 14 and 15. We, in verse 1, I'm sorry, in verse 14 and 15, we're still in what chapter in Mark? 
In Matthew, this is chapter 4. In Luke, this is chapter 4. That's how quick Mark just moved through the history of. Now, go back and get Matthew and Luke and fill in the detail. That's wonderful. And Mark doesn't, isn't being rude or wrong and skipping that. That's not his portrait he's painting. The portrait is the movement. Verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and straightway on the Sabbath day he entered into the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. And there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, Let us alone, we, and what, uh, what have we to do with thee, thou Jesus of Nazareth? Art thou come to destroy us? I know thee, who thou art, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Hold thy peace, and come out of him. And they were all amazed insomuch that they questioned among themselves, saying, What thing is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority commanded he even the unclean spirits, and they do obey him. And immediately his fame spread abroad throughout all the regions round about Galilee. And forthwith, when they were come out of the synagogue... They entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John, but Simon's wife's mother lay sick of a fever, and uh, Anon, they tell him of her, and he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she ministered unto them. By the way, that's Matthew 8, Luke 4. And at even, when the sun did set, they brought unto him all that were diseased and them that were possessed with devils and all the city was gathered together at the door and he healed many that were sick of divers disease and cast out many devils and suffered not the devils to speak because they knew him there's a day in the life of a servant right there we just read it what's he doing verse 21 he's moving he's not he did that what did he prove he, he's proving his authority in verse 1 and verse Uh, 21 and 22. He goes in there, boom, verse 29, and forthwith when they were come out of the synagogue, they entered into the house of Simon and Andrew with James. You know what they had? There's lunch. They start the day in the synagogue proving his authority, and they're moving, and then they go down to Peter's house and Andrew's house, and there sits Pete's wife's mom. You know who that is? That's mother-in-law. Better to have a wife, so you you know, anyway. (laughs) The mother-in-law jokes start, you know, okay? Mine's passed away, so I don't have a mother-in-law anymore, okay? But the thing is, is, you look, mother-in-law, he heals her. She gets up, starts uh, ministering to him, fixes lunch. And as soon, again, think about that. As soon as the satanic policy of evil, the unclean spirits are defeated, and that's what you're seeing. What's he going to do? He's going to come in and clean them up. Those two great signs of the kingdom casting out the unclean spirits and healing the sick, cast out, clean up the land, clean up the people. That's what he's doing, and he's doing it, and he's doing it rather quickly. By the way, verse 32, and at even, now we're in the evening time. He's going to heal. Does he? Blessings are beginning to flow out. The satanic policy, the grip that Satan has has been bound, and now the blessings are flowing. Verse 35, and in the morning, here's the next day. And you see this cycle repeated all through Mark of, in the morning he did this. He's a busy man. Why? Because he's the servant. 
And that's what we're seeing him as. Come on over to chapter 15 of Mark. Let's talk about the cross because that's really, last week we kind of shut it, cut it short on Matthew and I didn't mean to. So a little more time today, I hope. In Mark, in John 13, 14, 15, 16, is the upper room scene where he sits with the 12 apostles. Judas Iscariot leaves, so he sits with the 11. He gives them their, their, uh, their orders and so forth, and he gets with them. He spends it. He wants to eat with them. He comes out in John 17, the official Lord's prayers, John 17, and then he's taken, betrayed in the garden. Now, in Mark 14, you see, you see that happen, and you see it quickly happen. So when we come to, the, to verse 47 of Mark 14, there's Peter headhunting Malchus, taking his ear off in the garden. Chapter 15. Chapter 15, you have the Ill- illegitimate trial of the Lord by the leadership of Israel, and then they take him to Pilate, verse 21. And they compel one Simon, a a, a Syrian, who passed by, coming out of the country, the father of Alexander and Rufus, to bear his cross. He identifies, Mark identifies. There you go. Here's what I found. Okay. Hey, Susie, you got a cohort. What is Mark doing? What is, what is Rufus and Alexander's, by the way, Rufus potentially could be the guy in Romans 16 that Paul refers to. But what, what, is, what is Mark doing here in verse 21? He's identifying the helper of the servant. Verse 22, and they bring him into the place Golgotha, which is being interpreted the place of the skull, and they gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh, but he received it not. This is the only verse that shows us that Christ did not take the painkiller. He didn't take the morphine. He didn't take, he didn't want his senses dulled. He said, no, thank you. Now, at the end, he's going to say, hey, and they're going to give it to him after after it's all done, right before he says it is finished. But here, Mark does what? Mark says, he didn't take it. He said, no, it's right here. They're going to go and stick him They're going to go put him on the cross, come over to chapter 16. Actually, there in verse 20, uh, chapter 15, you see the events of the Calvary. If you will, he's going to speak seven times from the cross. Verse 34. Here's, we see this in Matthew 27. He said, at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is being interpreted, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Fulfillment of Psalms 22. But I want you to come back and look at Matthew 27. Matthew 27. And just notice... A little difference, Matthew 27, verse 46. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli. See, there's, see that little difference in the, 
Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Matthew 27, 46. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Isn't that interesting? The little difference. Eli, Eli, that's the pronouncement of a king. That's a proper pronouncement. The servant's got a little slang in there. Eloi, Eloi. Same thing, my, my God, my God. But it's the, it's the speech, the king, proper, boom, boom. Everything's exact. The servant just got a little shorthand in there. See that? Even in their pronouncements. And off you go. Chapter 16 of Mark. Now we are, by the way, Eli, E-L-I, that is also the Hebrew, and E-L-O-I is the Aramaic. One's more formal, one's a little, they, actually they call, the, they call Aramaic gutter language. I was reading a book on the Greek language because it's the common language of the common people. Okay, koine and all that stuff, okay? But the thing is, again, it's that little slang. It's the formal, and it's a little, a little street in there, if you will. Chapter 16. In Mark 16, you all know that from verse 9 to the end of the chapter, it should not be in your Bible, right? You all know that, right? <laughs> it's a joke, okay? You should say, not so, preacher. No, that's what the books say. You know why? You know why the new Bibles do that? Because they don't understand how to handle it. They don't understand how to teach and what's going on in it. And the very fact that it says that you can pick up a snake and a deadly thing and be okay. Well, if you go do that today, you ain't going to be okay. I was watching this guy on Grand Canyon trip and everything. He asked if there are snakes. And the guy goes, well, if you see one, just reach down there and pick it up and see what happens. You know, well, yeah, that's, how, that's what happens. And you can't just do but look, if you will, at verse 19. At the very end, he's, he's going to, he's, verse, uh, Mark 16, 19. So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. So there's Acts 1, 8, okay? And they went forth and preached everywhere. Now watch, the Lord working with them. And confirming the word with signs following. That great thing. The miracles always follow the preaching. The message is preached. The signs do what? Confirm what was preached. But what I want you to catch is in verse 20, the Lord is still doing what? He's still working with them. Isn't that interesting? Now, where is he? He sat down at the right hand. What did he tell them? When I go away, who's coming? Another comforter's coming, the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. And when he gets here, he's going to take you and move you forward. He's going to remind you, the Gospels, he's going to move you forward, the Hebrew epistles. Because the work product of the Holy Ghost is the, writing, is the written word of God. That's his work product. That's what he's producing. What's the Lord doing? What happens in Acts 2? Boom, 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 here comes the Spirit. What's, he, what's the servant doing? He's still working. And he's working in them. Just, and by the way, verse 15, 16, 17, and 18, that commission there, that's, I call it a sub-commission. The great commission is Matthew 10. Because it starts when the Lord makes them apostles and it goes all the way out to his second coming. 
This is a sup. This is, guys, this is what you're going to do in the time leading up to the 70th week and into the 70th week. So here you are. You're going to go into Acts. You're going to go into all this. And here's how you're going to get through it. And how you're going to get through it is because where are you? You're in me, and I'm in you. And you learn that in John. You follow that? Okay. So don't get all tripped out and think you can go drink Drano and all that good stuff. You can't. Okay. This belongs to them out into the future. Now, come with me to Philippians 2. And just watch Paul pick up on some of this for you and I. And we got five minutes to teach five hours. So Mark, here's the servant. Can he do the job? Yes. We've proved it. We've illustrated it. We've moved him. We, we, didn't, we stayed out of the weeds of all the, non, all of the drama. We just got right to the point. Oh, can I show you, please? Oh, come over to Mark. Come back to Mark. Sorry. Hold on to Philippians. We'll, we'll read it, and you'll see it, and you'll be good. In Mark 15, okay, the Lord, they take, they deliver the Lord to Pilate. In verse 2, Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answering said unto him, Thou sayest it. Mark cuts out all of the narration of Matthew, Luke, and John. And he went right to the issue with Pilate. The issue with Pilate isn't that he was going to pervert the three charges against the Lord. He's perverting the nation. No, he's not. Pilate doesn't care about that. He's claimed to be God. Pilate don't care about that. But you know what he did claim also? To be king of the Jews. Now Pilate's worried. Why? Because who is Pilate? He's the Roman authority, isn't he? And if somebody just said, they're the king, we have insurrection on our hands, and we're going to squash it like we do the bugs in the corner. You see how Mark just went right to it? Not all this other... Now, there's great conversation between the Lord and Pilate. But that's not Mark's focus. Mark's focus right to it. See that? Now, Philippians 2. I got two minutes. Philippians 2. Watch Paul, verse 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Who is the Lord Jesus Christ? He's God. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and so forth. He's God. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a what? Isn't that interesting? Paul picks up on that servant attitude, that servant thinking, and makes a connection with you and I, that as you and I live in verse 3, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory. Could the Lord glory, could the Lord claim glory as God? Yes. But he made himself of what? No reputation. I'm not claiming the glory yet. It ain't time. I got something to do. I'm going to go be a what? I'm going to go be a servant. I took upon him the likeness and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man. You think about man, a little lower than the angels. We're a subclass in the creation. We are not the top of creation. We're at the bottom of creation. And where'd the Lord say? I'll go there. Why? Because... Before, back in eternity past, you have prepared a body for me, and I'm going to go do that. And you know what he says? He looks at the church, verse 3, and he says, Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better 
than themselves. You and I ought to have an interrelationship with each other and the same mindset that the Lord has of saying what? I'm going to go be a servant. I am esteeming others better than myself. I'm not important. He's important. I am nobody. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Prior to that statement, he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. His relationship with the Father went from Father to my God, my God. Why? What had happened? He'd been made sin. Paul picks that up and says, you know what you and I ought to do? We have to have the same mind as Christ when we interact with one another. We are to be living. We are to be putting on display the lifestyle of the Godhead here. And how does the Godhead behave? How does the Godhead live? They live with great spontaneous for each other. Spontaneity. That was, I'm sorry. For each other. They don't look to be both the Father glorifies the Son, the Son, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Father, the Holy Spirit. Why? They're living in harmony with each other. And Paul says, you and I, we ought to have that servant mindset. Ephesians 5, verse 22, submitting yourselves one to another in the fear of God. Submit That servant's attitude, Paul picks right up. You know why? Because when we look at Calvary, when we look at our Savior, you know what we see? We see the perfect servant, just as we saw the perfect man, the perfect God, the perfect king. Paul picks up and says, you and I, we ought to be on that level right there. That's where we need to be. You know that little acronym, JOY, Jesus, others, then yourself. You're last. You ain't important. Who's important? The other. Now, if the other is thinking the same way, then guess what happens? There's mutual. There's mutual importances. <laughs> there's mutual. There's harmony. There's you, you follow that? Okay. Mark, fast book, and the hour's up, and I'm in trouble. But that's okay. I live in trouble. I live for it. Not really. <laughs> All right? All right. Dearly Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. And we thank you for the portrait of our Savior in his earthly ministry that we too can go and look at it and rejoice in it and fall in love with him as you have fallen in love with him. In your name we pray, amen. All right.